listening to the Woman of Strength podcast for the purpose-driven woman who has a yearning deep in her soul to serve the world. Presented to you by Ange Wilcock, creator of Evolutionary Model of Well-Being, Mindfulness-Based Storytelling, and The Raw Woman Project. A businesswoman on a mission for every human on the earth to feel enough. Welcome to another episode of Woman of Strength. And as I always say on every one of these interviews, I've got yet another amazing woman that I'm going to be interviewing today. And this lady is called Dali Rivera. And Dali is amazing. So welcome, Dali. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. And I'm just going to tell our listeners a little bit about you, Dali. So Dali is an anti-bullying and diversity educator who teaches people to prevent bullying by debunking stereotypes. She's also a military veteran, speaker, parent, and two young girls and a wife of a disabled veteran. She is a creator of Embracing Differences and Debunking Stereotypes, a program that teaches people how to identify change and debunk stereotypes in order to improve children's academic achievement, self-esteem and likelihood of having a more successful life in adulthood. Her teaching methods reinforce the the embracing of people's differences from learning about cultures to learning about and learning on physical disabilities, thus creating the perfect recipe to create future adults of those that close the inequality gap. Now, I am going to have to apologize for my reading of this, but basically what I'll do is I'll allow Dali because um, she has an amazing story to tell about what she really does. Because as we know, Woman of Strength um, is all about being authentic and then we do make mistakes. And when I'm reading off a piece of paper, my eyes just sometimes don't see all the words jumping off. So welcome again, Dali, and apologies for, for my reading about who you are, but I know that we're going to get to know you really well um, on our call today. So the first question I always ask all of my guests is, could you please tell us a little bit about your journey to become this woman of strength? Um, well, don't worry about the reading. I, you did better than I would have done reading it. (laughs) Very gracious. (laughs) So how I came to that point, I think really it was a lot of experiences from a young age. Uh, so a little bit about me. Um, I'm the eldest of six kids from a single mom, well, single up until I was 14. And, um, and we went through a lot of struggles and those struggles allowed me to see the world in a different way, not so innocently. And, um, some people, sometimes they tell me, Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so sad. But I don't feel like it was sad. I feel like it was a blessing in disguise. And, you know, having gone through the hardships that we went through wasn't fun or, you know, like I, I, in a way, I don't wish it upon anybody, but in a way, if you're going through it, I, I hope that, you know, people kind of embrace it because out of everything negative, I've always learned that there's always a positive. So I, I'm, again, like the oldest child of six kids, uh, my mother from Nicaragua and my father, and they came to the U.S., you know, for a better life, like a lot of immigrants do. And um, unfortunately, my dad was very violent and abusive. And... 
uh, he really controlled my mother and uh, subjected her to a lot of, you know, just not good stuff, like, you know, the way that he treated her and us. Um, and then, you know, he left and it was like, a, oh, thank goodness. You know, while some kids are like, oh, my parents are getting divorced. We were like, oh, my gosh, thank God, you know. Um, and then um, knowing very well that, you know, we were going to struggle and everything. We embraced it and we did the best that we could. So um, I wanted to be the helper. I've always, maybe that's an older kid thing. You just want to help everybody. But and through helping, uh, wanting to help myself and my mother, I enlisted in the military. And um, when I enlisted in the military, I told myself, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do something awesome and different because I'm a girl and I'm tired of people treating me like, I need to be behind, be behind this desk or, you know, like doing these girly jobs that people always refer to. Um, so I decided to become a, a mechanic in the military. And uh, I fixed like all these tanks and trucks and all sorts of stuff. So I worked in a predominantly male uh, industry. I mean, the military alone, <laughs> that's very masculine. You're so very I didn't go into the... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I ended up being like one or two females out of a company of maybe 10 at most. Um, but in my own department, I was either the only one or, or one of two. Um, and that was a challenge. And, you know, I went through my own challenges, you know, hardships with my career, but I did really well because fortunately I had a great mentor and, and my mentors ended up being male. Um, because that's pretty much, you know, the only, the leaders were mainly males. Mm. So um, I learned a lot and it was not easy. I mean, would I do it again? I think I would, definitely. Uh, because it really, really taught me to not be scared of authority. And I think that our young kids today, you know, the, the kids who follow that straight line, like, like me, I was that kid um, who didn't want to veer off. You kind of limit yourself in life by always following that straight line because if you don't come off of it, you don't know what else is out there and how to maneuver it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great life skills that can help you become a stronger human being. And also it pushes your creativity and, and you end up just doing amazing things and so I wish I would have learned to kind of bend those rules and get out of that straight line and stuff when I was much younger. And I think looking back, in a way, I kind of did and didn't realize it. Just like by joining the military and selecting a, a job that was not gender, uh, socially gender expected, you know. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, as a, as a grown up, you just, you know, life throws stuff at you. And one of the things that really made me grow, I feel like, as an adult was having to um, get out of the military as a new mom and all of that changed because I served in the military for 10 years. And so you kind of become institutionalized with a certain mentality, certain expectations. And, um, and then you come into the civilian world Especially because, you know, I, I went into the military like less than 30 days after I graduated high school. Gosh. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I turned 19 in South Korea. 
I think yeah. that was like the third day I was in country. And then, um, and I met my husband. So I married young, I was 20. And then we didn't have children until like seven and a half years later. And then at that time, um, after our first, we got pregnant with our second right away and then decided, okay, it's time to, to leave the military because it's not working out. I had, I, I knew my time was coming close to either re-enlist or, or just become a civilian. And having kind of felt what it was going to be like with my first child, I decided to get out. But I ended up getting out of the military uh, at the end of 2007. And in 2007, the market was crashing in the United States. And I had no idea how bad it was going to be. I had just purchased a new home. I had just, you know, I had a new vehicle because I had upgraded because I, we had, a, you know, two kids now. And, um, and then my husband, he was already out of the military. He had been injured and the Veterans Affairs was kind of providing some care for him. But then suddenly his health just went downhill almost overnight. Wow. So I found myself um, unemployed with no health benefits uh, taking care of a, a husband who could no longer work. And so we kind of floated our, our, our bills and, you know, all of our stuff for, on savings. And thank goodness we had savings. But that didn't last long. And, you know, that right there, that was, I call it the dark <laughs> moments of my life. Like really, I think back on, on those times and I, and I remember um, the fear, you know, uh, the fear of like, my gosh, I am in charge of these two little lives now. And I have a husband who's really depending on me. I'm the only one who can work. It's like, what am I going to do? And, and then suddenly you just start doing things. You, you let your pride go and you just do what you have to do, you know? So I ended up um, I would do side jobs because right before I left the military, my husband and I, my husband was a realtor, so he was making great money because of, the market was great. And, um, and of course, then the market started crashing and we started seeing his profits, you know, decline a little bit, but it was still okay. And then, um, and then I was doing it part time with him. But then when, when I got out by that time, because I got out October 2007, uh, it was looking really bad. And then I had these two new babies. So from going to uh, being a, an agent, I went to cleaning the foreclosed homes for other realtors. Yeah. Because nobody was, you know, homes were not selling and people were afraid. And uh, I started doing real estate consulting for those people who were trying to save their home. And then we ended up, you know, in that same situation having to save our home um so all of these things just give you strength and you don't realize it at the time yeah and, and then sometimes yeah sorry i was going to say to say it's like you know that whole event but well accumulative um events that happened it was sort of like you having to press the whole reset button on your mind <laughs> reevaluate everything mm -hmm. and, and start from a neutral place again that does that certainly takes a lot of strength and a, and a lot of inward looking at you know what's what's key in life you know where's my value base um what's important to me and and you went out there and did it you know you went out there and and did the absolute necessities to help and support your family and so you talked a bit before about you know you had a mentor is this something that you'd 
learned or role modeled from your mentor or was this just something something else that was really guiding you to do that I think um I as a kid I always I remember my mom always telling me listen to old people I know they're boring but they have all the knowledge yeah and and I would and I thought oh yeah you know they're, they're pretty interesting you know um very, very old people. I would purposely seek out like somebody's grandparents or great grandparents and just ask about, you know, what did you do when you were younger? And I'd always learn something. So I think that throughout my life, I've always kind of gravitated to the one person who would kind of stand on the sidelines and tell you, hey, you shouldn't do that or whatever. And I think that they noticed. And these people always came to me and, you know, like one of them, Chief Vasquez, I'll never forget him. Um, he pulls me off to the side and he was like, Rivera, don't you dare get pregnant. You tell your husband, you cannot have children right now. You have to build your career first. And I thought, what, what, what is this man talking about? I mean, we know each other, but we don't know each other, you know? And then he would say that nice car he's driving. Stop that crap. He said (laughs) those rims and all that luxury stuff. Stop it. You need to go out and buy a house. And I was 23 at the time. And I thought, this is crazy. Me, 20, 23, buying a house. Come on. I lived in government housing because my mom needed the help. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not going to buy a house. That's crazy. But then the idea stuck. And then I started looking into it. And then right after I turned 24, I, I had purchased my first new construction home. Wow. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? You know? <laughs> and then, and I also came up the ladder in the military because he would tell me, you need to study. Stop. And, and I remember uh, pregnant females would walk around throughout the base and he would tell me, you see a pregnant woman, you turn around, don't even drink out of that water fountain they just drank out of. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> he, he was amazing. And, um, and, I was lucky that I was stationed at that base for five years. So I had him for about five years until it was time for me to move on. But, um, and I've done that. Do you think he saw the potential in you that was maybe different to other women that were in the military? Yes, I definitely think so. Because uh, we had a department where it was predominantly females. And he, I noticed he wouldn't really go around and, and speak to them the way he spoke to me. And, um, and I remember asking him like, why me? And he said, because I know you can, that's all. And that's good enough. So yeah. just stop asking and do it. <laughs> and he, he was very, very blunt. And uh, in the military, you have to keep a certain appearance and a certain weight yeah. and we'd walk around and he's like, Rivera, you're getting fat. Go run <laughs> extra, <laughs> extra miles. I'm like, that's so mean. <laughs> but I was like, okay. But I would do it. It wasn't an insult. It was, like, oh, he's... But was up. it motivate? Like, did you see those sort of derogative comments as a motivator as opposed to something? Yeah, definitely. Motivator. And they, they yeah. never felt like a derogatory comment. Yeah. I knew that it was... Like, because of the tone and his facial expressions, you know, his body language, it was always like, hey, don't get caught up, you know, in that... Uh, we called it a, the line of shame because you have to get like measured for your body fat content. And it was just horrible, <laughs> but <laughs> it was like, if you were on that line and unfortunately I was always on that line because my body was very deceiving. I weighed more, but I always was a lot leaner and stuff. Yeah. So, um, but he would always tell me, you know, it's okay if you're in that line of shame. Um, but I, you know, you're not fat, you're just, you know, built differently. And, 
And, and anytime I see you gain weight, you know, I'm going to tell you because you're not going to be one of those people who, you know, does not meet the standard because I know you can. So I know he definitely saw it in me. And, and um, mm. you know, I, I, I feel like I was very fortunate because I never really saw a lot of that. Um, it was more like the mentors that I saw was more like friends hanging out. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't really teaching something to another person. So when I became a senior officer, I ended up purposely like the one who got the most crap, <laughs> who was told, you're not going to make it, you're a sorry this or whatever. I'm like, come here, let me help you because I hated um, seeing people stigmatize somebody just because they didn't believe in them. And, and I understood that it was mainly because they were not as fortunate as I was. They were not lucky to have good role models around them. And some of them, a lot of these kids came from really unfortunate circumstances. I mean, some of them were, they were trying to get out of gangs. They were trying to get out of bad neighborhoods. Some of them had, you know, had gotten a girl pregnant early and didn't graduate high school and needed and wanted to turn their life around to, to not become that bad statistic. So if they were willing, then I would help them the way that Chief Vasquez had helped me. And I remember another warrant officer who, uh, Chief Wongus, who also, he would, when I was just a little private in the military, he would always tell me, go for the hard jobs that nobody wants, because you know what, that's going to make you stand out and it's going to suck, but you know what, it's going to pay off. And I was like, oh, why do you have to tell me that? Because now it's going to be in my head and I'm going to do it, not because I want to, but because I know it's the best thing for me. <laughs> what great advice, though, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. we do get, people do give us great advice and great support, but we don't always act on it. And But there was something about you that was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. It might be crappy. It mm -hmm. might be awful, but I'm going to do it. So mm -hmm. where did you learn that? Where did you learn that when you were given that challenge, you wanted to take on that challenge rather than throw it back at the person? Um. You know, I think it started in high school. My sister, my the one that follows right after me, we're, we're almost a full year apart. And we were very, very competitive. And I, I noticed in high school uh, that I always admired her smarts, especially in mathematics, because I sucked at it. I just struggled. And to this day, I still do. And, and I would just watch her. And I would see what she would do. And like, I've got to do what she's doing because it would really get to me. Like, I, I have to be just as good because I just have to. Um, and then I think it was until junior year where I realized, oh, my goodness, I am competing against my sister and she doesn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that year I told her and she said, well, good. <laughs> and she said, bring it. <laughs> and so I, I realized um, – even in, in PE and physical education, if, if, if I saw a girl running really fast and she was ahead of me, I would just slowly start picking it up and I would want to vomit on the side of the road or whatever, but I was like, I'm going to catch up to her. And I would. So I think it just like I was born with it. And then once I realized that I had that, I just, I just didn't, I think I embraced it, not knowing that I had embraced it. Yeah. And yeah, I just went with it and I thought, oh, I hate it because I know it's going to be rough, but I want to be the best. 
And also, I think that the fact that my mom was that single Latina mother uh, with six kids, uh, I hated that, oh, you must be Catholic or Mormon because of all the babies, or you must be Mexican. Or like, we're not even Mexican. <laughs> we're like, we're not even religious like that. Like, you know, we're not Catholic or whatever. Um, and, uh, but like, I hated the stereotype that came, the negative stereotypes with certain, I guess, labels that we were put yeah. on, put, put on us. So I wanted to debunk them uh, from an early age. Just like when I was really, really little, I remember my mom in Nicaragua, we were, uh, we lived in a corner lot and I wanted to go out and play with the boys. And I remember, I remember vividly, I was like five or six, um, my mom would not let me go out and play with the boys. And I would ask, why? Why can't I go out and play with the boys? And I'm like, because you're a little girl, you have to stay nice and clean and you're delicate. You can't do that. And I was so angry. I was this angry five-year-old. I was like, how dare you tell me I can't just because I'm a girl? Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe that's where it really started. But yeah, it was from a very young age. And so that brings us up to today. So where, tell us um, more about what you do today. Because like, like I said, I stumbled a little bit at the beginning and people might be a little bit confused. So you can give us that clarity that I wasn't able to do. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Happy to do so. Uh, so uh, after the military, I went and got my my um, undergrad and graduate uh, education in gender, women and gender studies. And uh, my concentration was in leadership and social policy because I was very interested in learning about the policies that are put in place in governments that help or deter women from progressing. And also the way that women are seen because, of course, um, having become a senior leader in the military, there were some uh, resistance that I felt from men and also from just just for being young and for being a woman uh, and also from being Latina sometimes. But um, that always stuck with me and I, I saw certain things that I thought were really unfair. For example, when I was a drill sergeant, there was a there were a lot of boys who, or young men, <laughs> who um, had what they called shaving profiles. A doctor would tell them, okay, you're allowed to not shave for so many days because you get razor bumps under your chin or whatever. And, um, and then I remember um, it was okay. You know, as long as, I mean, some leaders hated it, but it was okay because the doctor had provided the note. But I remember this one girl, she had razor bumps. Um, I'm sorry, not razor bumps, uh, uh, heat bumps from sweating too much under her her, uh, her her bun yeah right at the crease of the neck and the doctor gave her a uh, like a permission slip to let her hair down so that the sun would not burn her her the back of her neck so much and she wouldn't get those heat blisters and i remember the sergeant major flipping out and he was like no absolutely not this female needs to put her hair back up and i and i remember asking him well why is it okay he has a full-grown beard. It does not comply with uniform standards. She just has her bun low, but it's still kind of put together. Yeah. But it's low. There's no difference here. There's a doctor's note. And, um, and that really bothered me. And I saw little things like that throughout mm. life, not just my career. Yeah. And so, uh, and then um, I, I, that in kind of instilled, like, the idea of creating some kind of program for younger kids to embrace equality. But then I also, as I continued my research, I realized I need to do more than just gender equality. I need to do 
like the embracing of all differences because I saw a huge epidemic going on on bullying and the first experience I had was when my children started kindergarten a little boy asked my little five-year-old out she said no because she's five and you know I was like I can't have a boyfriend I'm five (laughs) and he got really really upset he had two slightly older brothers and uh, I realized that those two older brothers had this incorrect idea of what masculinity is so they would kind of tease him and they would like grab him from behind hold him and then the other brother would punch him right there at the bus stop just to tell him to man up and I I felt so bad for this little boy because kindergartners you know and I mean the oldest was in I think third grade at the time Um, and then my my daughter got bullied and then other girls got bullied and I thought this can't be happening because I mean you experience this when you're much older in high school maybe you know I remember being bullied in elementary school because I was, you know, an immigrant and I was learning English and I was like kind of really, really dark. So I got teased, but I just didn't expect for my children to experience that so young. So that is how my program, which I call Embracing Differences, Debunking Stereotypes, um, was born. And I I realized um, if you debunk a stereotype, you know, because kids hear it all the time through jokes, through television, through commercials, it's everywhere. It's in books, you know, everything. I mean, um, you know, so I decided if you can teach your children that this joke does not actually have truth in it, you know, then, then you can diminish or eliminate bullying because kids will now understand it. Okay, I know why he wears a turban. Or I understand why Philippe from France's accent is slightly, it's different than, than a Latin American accent. It's not that the European accent makes him smarter because he was able to learn another language and then the Latin American child is dumb because they have an accent, you know. So yeah. these little things and also um, teaching them language that subconsciously can change your expectations about somebody. For example, in the classroom, I hear a lot of teachers say, hey, guys, when there's a bunch of girls and boys. And I know that that term, guys, is like the modernized general yeah. fault. I'm guilty of doing that too. Yes, but it's normal we because... Don't think about it, do we? Yeah, exactly. It's normal because society... That's what we've been trained for. But if you start thinking about the consequences of it, guys is the default. Therefore, male is the default. And then you're kind of devaluing or putting putting women as the other. And and so with my program, I have um, several modules. They touch on different things like that fine line between teasing and bullying because that too, that's how it starts. Kids start teasing and then they think it's funny and more kids join in and they start targeting that one person where they're, they're getting the most attention for teasing and then that becomes into bullying. Yeah. So I, I do um, one-on-one coaching with parents and I go into the school districts. I present my program and I'm really excited because so far it's been very well received. And I also implement it in story time at libraries. And I'm really excited to be doing that because I thought I'd have a lot of resistance. But parents are loving it because it's not just teaching kids the ABCs or the colors and shapes. Um, and, you know, these books that I use from the library because I also like to instill, you know, the love of reading. Um, these books have been hand selected, like I've gone through to make sure that the message uh, ties in with my theme. 
Yeah. And um, so far it's been very successful. So that's what I've been doing. And hopefully these kids, these schools that are accepting my program at the elementary school level, hopefully these kids will have better academic achievement because uh, you have like 165,000 children in the U.S. every day who miss school just because they're trying to avoid a, a bully. Yeah. yeah, and, and we have, um, I mean, not number-wise, but we have a big problem in New Zealand too, and not only with bullying um, in schools and, and kids, you know, bunking off a of school, but also teen suicide. Our teen suicide rate just seems to be going up and up, and it sounds like what you do with your education and helping um, young people understand when we understand something it builds resilience in us because we don't take it in internally and it doesn't always create you know psychological problems for us so I think what you're doing um, is amazing and it's going to help young people on so many different levels it's yeah it's it's phenomenal what you're doing yeah, so you. with your program going into schools and, and I love that the library idea that uh, yeah that's 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 amazing. But with going into to schools and the library and um, teaching parents and doing your one-on-one -on -one coaching, have you got anything on online at all that, you know, parents or resources that parents can go to? Because I'm sure, you know, mums listening to this is because, you know, every woman of strength is also a mum too. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And because a lot of the time that's how we get to that place. Have you, is there any resources or anything that anyone watching or listening to this would be able to access to, to help them and to help their children? Yeah, definitely. So I'm still working with um, upgrading my website with all the information. But for right now, the main thing that, that I'm doing is I'm, I'm blogging once a week. And I have a great article. It's called 10 Ways to Help a Bully because uh, we focus most times on speaking about the victim, yeah. but we don't focus enough on, okay, what's causing uh, the bullying and how can we help these children? Because they're just as much the victim as the oh, ones that they're committing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a therapist, I know that, you know, when, when children are the bullies, it's because they don't feel enough and they have to have mm -hmm. some power control not necessary on a conscious level so fantastic that you're doing that too that you're working with you know the young people that bully as well as the, the children that are bullied so yeah so you can your viewers can watch um, i mean read <laughs> my blog at dalitalks.com and i'm also on instagram and twitter and facebook but soon very soon because i've been working on just making a whole separate section on my website about these topics, um, it, it'll be uh, coming up very soon. But so stay tuned, and I hope yeah. that uh, that I hope that people reach out. I mean, you can go onto my contact page and just email me if you have a question or if you would like me to write about a certain topic that you're very interested in. Um, I'd be more than happy to because there's still so many questions out there that haven't been answered or asked. You know, and so I'm up for the challenge. You know, ask me, I will research it and I will give out the information. But yeah, um, and I love working with parents and teachers too, because another thing that I found out is that most teacher programs don't actually have a, any courses on how to handle bullying in the classroom because I learned that the majority of bullying happens in the classroom when people are present. And that's petrifying because most people think it's in the locker room or you know 
yeah, or via um, social media because we know that right. lots of bullying goes mm -hmm. on via social media too. But what you're yes. saying is that there's adults in the classroom that are observing this and, mm -hmm. and don't know what to do about it. Right, yeah. And then, and I also speak about other bully-related issues like teacher-on-teacher -teacher bullying. Unfortunately, that exists. And there's also teacher-on-student bullying. And it's really sad. A lot of them don't realize that that's what they're doing because they don't understand the differences of a child. For example, um, a, a child who, um, say her name is Maria, and the teacher keeps insisting that her name is Mary. And yeah. the child keeps saying, hey, you know, respect my name. I am, you know, my name is Maria. And they're like, no, your name is Mary because you're in the United States. It's like, wow, you're really, really disrespecting this child just because you feel entitled because she's not a native, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of topics. Um, and, you know, I love what I'm doing, too, because I know that it's making a difference. And hopefully, yeah. you know, you know, you, they ask you, what is, like, your wildest dream? My wildest dream is for my program to catch on like wildfire throughout the U.S. Yeah. And then to be able to help worldwide. all these children. Well, how amazing it will be worldwide because we have the same mm -hmm. problems all over the world, don't we? Yeah, so, we should do, yes. So just remind us again, um, where, where can our amazing mothers that are watching and listening to this um, find you again? At dollytalks.com and that's D-A-L-I. T as in Tom, A-L-K-S dot com. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. Same, Dali Talks, you know, after the yeah. whatever dot com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much. And what you're doing is, like I said, it's amazing. So keep up this great work because we need you know, resilient young people because they're going to be leading our future, aren't they? And so people like you that are doing this wonderful work with them um, are just invaluable. So thank you, Dali. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Women of Strength podcast. Please feel free to share the word with the women of strength in your life. For more information, go to angewilcock.com slash enough said.